Good morning. All right, so turn your Bibles, Acts chapter 2. I think we're going to be starting on verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all the believers were together and had all things in common, and they would sell their property and possessions and share them with all, to the extent that anyone had need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Good morning, church. You guys can be seated. Man, look at all these beautiful faces out here today. You know, uh, when we were uh, worshiping uh, in the last song, you know, I just was just thinking how in awe I am with God. Like, it's just amazing who God is, who he is, and what he's done for us. I don't know, you guys feel the same way? Amen, right? I'm just so in awe of who he is. And I just asked you guys today, you know, I was thinking about, you know, I'm just getting up here talking. I'm nobody compared to who God is, right? So at the end of the day, like, when you guys are, are listening to the message today, I just ask you to just in your hearts, just remember and think about who God is, who God is, and what he's done for you. That's really why we're here today. So many of you guys know me. Some of you guys know me. Some of you guys know me closely. And many of you guys know that I can be very challenging when it comes to teaching and developing people and things like that. Uh, and um, my wife definitely knows that. She, she probably doesn't like how I push sometimes, right? But um, I, my, my first bullet on my notes today as I was preparing for the sermon, and I've been going posturing back and forth over the last like 15 minutes if I should even do this or not. But the first bullet was, would you, be, would you give me permission to make you uncomfortable today? Would you give me permission to make you uncomfortable today? Yeah. Okay, so if you give me permission to make you uncomfortable today, what I'm going to ask is everyone to stand up and to move where you're at right now. I, I can almost practically tell you where everyone sits in the church. I want you to move, and I want you to sit near someone you do not know. Your family can stay together. If you want to be as a family unit, that's fine. But I want you to sit near someone you do not know today. Well, the person you don't know as well, Mr. Eric. <laughs> and if you're streaming, if you're streaming, I would ask you, if you're streaming, to, uh, to, to just reach out. Reach out in a chat and connect with someone on the chat who you do not know. Now, just because I asked you to move uh, towards or close to someone you don't know 
doesn't mean we're going to sit here for the next 10 minutes and have a long conversation, all right? Uh, I know everybody's getting to know each other. That's pretty awesome. Uh, but we do, we do have a timeline here, right? So I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Actually, I almost took this portion out of it, and I just, you know, just stay courageous and say, you know what, I'm going to do it anyhow. So I appreciate your uh, grace uh, as, as you um, was asked to do that. Um, so, you know, in the last, what, month, month and a half, our pastor has been uh, preaching on uh, church. And there's five pillars, as you probably can see on the slides. There's five pillars that we've talked through, uh, which is magnify membership, maturity, ministry, and mission. These five pillars are the foundation of the church, and these five pillars are the things that make a great church that's focused on who? Jesus, right? Who is the reason why we have church, right? And so I, I um, you know, last week I was speaking with Pastor, and I knew that he um, was seeking for me to uh, uh, get up here and do a sermon, and God just touched my heart last week, actually a couple of weeks ago, and then last week just solidified it uh, on membership, and it's not a typical sermon that I would preach on. Uh, you know, there's, I like to preach on those sermons that make you think a little deeper and things like that. But membership, I was like, okay, you know, that's not really the one pillar I would chose to, to, to have a sermon on. However, God put it on my heart to do that. And so today, what I'm going to do is just really talk a little bit more about that pillar, the membership pillar, and why is it so important and so critical for us to build a church that is God Christ-centered. And so when you think about membership, I started to think about what is membership to me. And there's all types of definitions out there, you know, belonging, being a group and all this. All that's great and all. But I start thinking about what's the closest member that I think about? I think about family members. Right? We all got, who has at least one family member on this earth? I would think everybody's hand. Eric, you have no family members? I would think everyone's hand would go up, right? And so why, why is it important? Uh, when we talk about family members. Uh, well, you know, that's kind of like we're drafted into that, right? When we're born, we don't choose our family. Our family is kind of chosen for us. But I want to go a little deeper on family members and what that is. And I'm going to do that by talking a little bit about who, uh, a couple of my family members. Uh, one of the family members I want to talk about is my father. Uh, my father, when I was, um, when I was younger, uh, and uh, my mother passed away when I was three years old, my father wasn't around. Right. I didn't know who he was. Uh, don't even knew. Couldn't even tell you how he looked. Right. Uh, grew up in life without a father. Uh, and maybe in my mid 20s, I think he probably reached out to me and called me. And I probably just I think I just blew him off. Uh, someone gave him my number and he got in touch with me. Uh, and uh, probably in my, in my 30s, in my mid 30s, we reconnected. Uh, but what's interesting is even though my biological father is my father, he's a family member. It doesn't feel like a family member, right? I don't know him, right? Don't have any connection with him. Now, I am building that relationship now through God's grace and getting to know my father better and so forth like that. And even beyond that, I have uh, four brothers and sisters uh, who is extended on his side who I don't know as well, but, you know, starting to reconnect with them as well. Uh, And so when I think about family members from that perspective, they're definitely family, but truly from a member perspective, what does that really mean? It feels a little watered down, right? I want to talk about another family member I have, my mother. My mother is so important to me because 
they truly nurtured. My mother truly nurtured me. She's there for me today, even today. She's there for me. When I need a place to stay, she's there for me. When I need food, she's there for me. If I need money, she'll be there for me. In the tough times, my mother is there for me. And so I would ask my mother to stand up, Miss Jessica. Can you come up here? Come on up here, Miss Jessica. So many of you guys know Miss Jessica. Come on up, Jessica. Come on, let everybody see you. Come on up. Miss Jessica is a wonderful person. And she has done so much for me. Matter of fact, she's the one who introduced me to my wife. Isn't that kind of crazy? She was sending little pictures and things, right? But even beyond that, you know, like, I'm at her house every week. I have a key to their house. If I wanted to go in and have a bed, I have a room, right? It's, a, it's an amazing thing when you have a family member. You can even see we look alike, right? <laughs> we look alike, right? right. <laughs> but this is a true family member. She's a mother to me, right? And my point here is, is that, yeah, she wasn't my blood mother, but she truly is a mother to me, and I thank you for that. Wonderful to have you as a son. And, and, and my, my, my whole point here, guys, is that how many of you guys today have a family, a family member that you haven't spoken with or connected with in over two years? Anybody here has family members you haven't talked to in over two years? Now think about friends you have today. Do you see some of those friends as more of a family member to you than that person you haven't connected with in over two years? What God has helped me see and helped me understand is really fellowship. Fellowship is what truly makes a connection. It's not about being drafted into a family or coming to a church and they have my name on a book that said, now guess what? We're part of the group, right? It's not about that. It truly is about fellowship. And when you think about some of these churches today, they got hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people. And they say, hey, you know what? Look how big our church is. There's a lot of big families out there too today. And people aren't connected. You may only talk to a handful of your family members. It's no different than the church family. Are we living a life together? Or are we just pretending? Right? This is something that I really want you to think about as we continue to go down this journey together today. I'm going to just call out my big idea right off the front. So I'm going, to, I'm going to put it out there. I believe there is no true membership without fellowship. There is no true membership without fellowship. We can sit here all day long, like we said, and say, yeah, I got this family member. I got that family member. I have 10 brothers or sisters. If you don't have fellowship with them, are they truly family? Do you truly have a membership with those individuals? Now, as you sit here and we talk a little bit more, think about your church family. How many of your church family has been in your home? How many church family members have you been to their house? How many years have you become into this church? How many other Christians beyond this church have you fellowshiped with? So I'm excited today to talk about what God is doing for us because I believe God has something to say and we go to his word. I think it makes it very, very clear. So we're going to start with understanding what fellowship means before we even hit the, the scripture. What does fellowship truly mean? 
What is it translated from, from a Greek word when in those times they talked about fellowship? You know, in the Strong's uh, uh, translation, it says fellowship is a partnership, a participation, a social intercourse, a benefaction, a communication, communion, distribution. Um, you know, uh, the, there's a Greek word that really has played out through all the Bible around what fellowship is. I'm going to say this word wrong, I think, so please forgive me. It's kononia. Kononia. Me and Patricia practiced this last night, and I told her I'm going to get it wrong, so I might as well call it out. All right. So, uh, you know, that's the, that's the Greek word for fellowship. In the lexicon translation, it says that fellowship is an association, community, communion, joint participation, sharing which one has in anything. Ooh, let me say that again. Sharing which one has in anything. Intimacy. The right hand is a sign and pledge of fellowship. A gift jointly contributed. A collection. A contribution. As exhibiting an embodiment and proof of fellowship. So you see this thing, fellowship isn't just coming to church on Sunday. That's not fellowship. I'm sorry, we come to church on Sunday to worship our God. That's why we're here. Right. But fellowship goes beyond that. And so one of the biblical stories that I think really demonstrate the power of fellowship and how it has created uh, this foundation of what membership is all about in the early Christian time period is in the book of Acts. And Paul, you know, he read a few verses, which I think are the core verses. But I really want to just take a step back as we think about what the book of Acts is talking about. And really trying to help you set up the story, understand what's going on. So in Acts 1, what, what, what's the Acts starting out with? It's starting out with Jesus' ascension. So Jesus ascends, and then you got the apostles in the upper room, and they're praying. And not just the apostles, the other followers too, about 120 people in all, are praying and really, you know, um, uh, worshiping G. Christ and knowing what's going on and realizing that they have a true mission that God has put them out uh, for. Also, uh, Matthias was uh, drafted in as a, the, the uh, apostle that replaced uh, Judas at the time. And then we move over to Acts 2. And in Acts 2, at the beginning of Acts 2, is the Pentecostal, right? So this is the Pentecost, right? The day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes down and, you know, uh, and really um, you, we start to see these supernatural things happen as the Holy Spirit begins to connect with each of the apostles and the followers of Christ. And as these supernatural things happen, uh, Apostle Peter, he decides to do a sermon. And he does a sermon to the people of Jerusalem to really, when I, when, I, when I read that sermon, it's really the good news of who Jesus is, right? And what he's come to do and be our savior. And because of that sermon, we see uh, in, um, uh, in uh, the mid part of Acts 2, many people repenting and being baptized. One of the things I want to call out is Acts 2.21. I know that wasn't part of what, what Paul read, but this stood out to me so much that I felt like I probably spent an hour meditating on this during my preparation, this one verse. And it had really, it wasn't necessarily connected to membership fellowship, but this, this verse I felt was so important that it's important for us to hear it over and over and put it in our hearts. Acts 2.21 says, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I, you know, I kept going back, looking at different translations, saying, what is God really saying here, right? 
And it is very, very clear that it says everyone, not some people, not, a, you know, whoever, you know, like I'm going to choose these people or that. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So does it require fellowship to be saved? No. It does not require fellowship to be saved. Just by calling on the name of Jesus, recognizing that he's our savior, we're drafted into salvation, right? And so I just want to make sure that's clear, right? We're talking about fellowship here, but salvation is so important. If you haven't called on the name of Jesus, this is the time to do it now, right? So um, again, that verse is so powerful. Let's not forget it. When things are bad, let's not forget it. When we're going through struggles, let's not forget it. When we're dealing with sin, let's not forget it. And let's reach back out to Christ. So we see people repent. There's about 3,000 souls saved after that sermon that Peter did. And then we move over into uh, verses 42 uh, and starting at verse 42 where Paul read. And I want to uh, pull out my, uh, my Bible because I want to read these verses again. And I think they're so powerful in what they're saying that is so critical for us to not only jot these verses down, but really try to put them in our hearts. Because these verses, I believe, really helps us understand the true importance of what fellowship is all about. I'm going to, as we read these verses, call out three points. These three points, I believe, based on what our word is telling us, is what good fellowship is all about. So if we hit the first point, I'm going to start right with the first point. Well, actually, I'm going to start at 42, and then I'll hit the first point. It says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles, teaching and to fellowship, to apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I want to stop right there, because what, what do you just read there, right? They were continually devoting themselves to four things, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I was thinking about those four. Let's think about those four, right? Now, we can understand the prayer, right? We get it. Like, vote yourself to prayer, right? Like, as Christians, we know we need to be praying. We need to vote ourselves to prayer. We can understand the apostles' teaching. That's going back to Scripture, right? Devoting ourselves to Scripture, reading Scripture, understanding what God's promises are, right? We can even understand the breaking of bread, right? Uh, and, and in that time, they would actually eat meals together. But in that moment, they would also remember Christ. Right. And we do that as a, as a, as a church family. We do that in other, other other venues as well, where we break bread and have communion. Right. Those three makes total sense for us. But some reason, there's a fourth one there. God didn't just put it there by mistake. It's there for a reason, which is fellowship. Why is fellowship there? We're talking about right now, guys, we're talking about the foundation of Christianity. Right? We're not talking about there's something evolved. This is the foundation of Christianity. The teachings of the apostles, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Fellowship is the one that I have seen in my own eyes, at least, and maybe you have as well, for Christians have really just been ignored. It's been ignored. It's been changed or transformed to something that's not necessarily fellowship. But we got to ask ourselves, why is that? I want to keep going because it gets even deeper here. 
and 43, it says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Well, shoot, we just talked about that. I felt a sense, I feel a sense of awe because of my God, right? Think about who he is. Think about what he's doing in our lives. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. You know, I th- I, it's interesting. When you start looking at the things God do in our lives, the movements that God starts to make, it's not when we're just sitting there by ourselves alone. I noticed that. It's not when we're by ourselves alone. It's when we were gathered with others. We're in communion with others. There's a reason for that. Because guess what? God is showing who he is amongst us is is his family. And hopes for us to continue to grow his kingdom. And so it's so important to understand that this devotion to fellowship is not something that is an option. It's something that God expects us to be obedient with. Because just like we need to be obedient with prayer, we need to be obedient with reading his word. We need to be obedient with communion. We need to be obedient with fellowship. It's something that you have to decide. Can't make excuses. Can't say I'm just not that type of person. Well, you are that type of person because God made you. And we're made to fellowship. We're all made to fellowship. So I want to keep moving on until the you know, the next, you know, first one again is devotion to fellowship. The next one is I move on to uh, uh, verse 40, uh, 44. It says, and all those who had believed, and all those who had, who had believed were together and had all things in common. And let me go back and read that again. And all those who had believed, so the Christians, right? Us, right? were together and had all things in common. And verse 45 goes on to say, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Mm. What is that telling us? What I see God is telling us is that we're a community and we're supposed to share what God has given us. You know, something to learn here as I think about being a community and sharing, is that fellowship is all about living life together. It's all about living life together. We were not meant to have separate lives, come to church on Sunday, go back to our separate lives, just have our little family unit, and move on. That's not how God intended this to be. It was for us to live life together. How are you creating a community around yourself? How are you participating in that community? It's really about being blessed and also being a blessing. So a lot of times we want one side of that coin, right? Oh, I need something. I need somebody to bless me. I don't want to get all these blessings, all these blessings, all these blessings. But yet we don't want to be blessed. We don't want to be a blessing to others, right? We don't want to open our house for the person that's in need. We don't want to uh, go and um, help someone out who is struggling emotionally or whatever they may have going on in their life. Or even worse, we don't want to go and actually share in the joy someone's having. We are supposed to live life together. That's what God has put us here to do. All right, so we we got our first one, which is devotion to fellowship. We must be devoted to fellowshipping. Secondly, we must be a community and a community that's willing to share together and work together and love together. 
The last one I would like to hear uh, hit is on uh, uh, verse 46. It says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were talking, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. There are a few things in there that really stands out to me. Day by day, that's the first. The first three words are so important. Day by day. What does that mean? Does that mean, all right, this is an event. We're going to do it. We get together. We have a little dinner, and then life goes on. That's not what it means. Day by day. Every day. They continued with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. What does that mean, breaking bread from house to house? Man, they were having dinners at different people's houses all the time, right? That's fellowship, right? Getting together. They said, hey, you know, we're going to have it at our house today. Come on over. Let's fellowship together. Break bread together, right? Let's see, well, how can we help each other out? Who's in need? Who, who can be a blessing? Let's share in the joys that you're having in life, day by day, right? And then it goes even deeper when it said they were, they were ta- taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Glad and sincere hearts is really the third piece of this. We must understand that as we fellowship, we are supposed to fellowship with all our hearts. Not fellowship because, oh, that's what we have to do. If we don't do that, people are going to look at us like something's wrong. Or I'm fellowshipping because I have an ulterior motive. Hey, if I be nice to them, maybe they'll help me out, right? That is the wrong reasons. And that's, that's what Satan wants us to do. That's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to fellowship with our whole heart. Because guess what? We're all one member. We're one family together in the body of Christ. And so if we're one family together in the body of Christ, we must think like that. We must act like that. We must love like that. When we do that, you know what we're really doing? We're worshiping him. How do y'all get that? When we fellowship with all our heart, we're worshiping God. We're worshiping God. We please God. We are doing what God intended us to do. You know, like when I first read this, I was like, man, like it's very clear. It's very clear what God is telling us we're supposed to do is fellowship and how we're supposed to fellowship as Christians, right? But then what even really just kind of like nailed it in for me, just like just hit it around the target, was verse 47. What does it say in verse 47? Praising God and having favor, favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Mm. What is that telling us? God is, you know what? God is pleased when we fellowship. And guess what happens? Naturally, people gravitate to that and they want to be a part of what God is doing. See, this is the thing. When we, when we go and put out what God is doing in our lives, people can't just walk away. People see it. They, they're like something's different there. Something's going on there, and they want to be a part of it. So what was happening at this time? Day by day, new people are coming in and say, hey, me, let me be a part of that. Who is this guy you serve? I want to start serving him. And it's so amazing to me because what this resulted in 
was a growth in membership of Christ's followers. You know, a lot of churches, a lot of people, they're always trying to have these big strategies, like how do we get more people in the door? Let's make the music better. Let's, you know, let's uh, go and put signs up and market and do all these things, right? All that stuff is not going to create and bring in true Christ followers. But what will is fellowship. If we start to fellowship in an authentic way, what we will see is we will start to see people are magnet. It's like a magnet. They just draw into it. All of us want to be a part of something that is beyond us. And the best thing you can be a part of is Christ. Because no one, nothing, nobody, no entity can do what Christ can do. And so going back here, guys, when I read this, this is not an option for us. Fellowship is not an option. Fellowship is an obligation, but with the right heart. God has called each and every one of you to fellowship. Not some. Everyone is here to fellowship. You know, I, I go back to, you know, the, uh, and it may be up here in the middle, yeah, the, the big idea here, right? There's no true membership without fellowship. And the thing that brings to mind to me is another something to learn. This is something that, like, as, as I was thinking about it, God put it on my heart. Membership does not increase fellowship. So hear that first part. Membership, we can have 10,000 people here. It doesn't in itself increase fellowship. But fellowship will always increase membership. Fellowship will always increase membership. And, you know, I want to give you guys some examples of what that is and what that's been for in my life. Uh, I have a picture here. Uh, of my groomsmen uh, for my wedding uh, that uh, occurred over, a little bit over a year ago. And I was thinking about this picture, and as I was thinking about this picture, one thing that stood out to me was how fellowship works in both when you're in valleys and when you're on the mountaintop. Every single one of those fellows, those gentlemen that's in my, in my wedding that was part of that, was with me in my valleys. You know, a few years ago, I was in the Deep Valley with uh, um, a divorce, and every single one of those guys there supported me, comforted me. They were there for me. Sometimes wasn't even talking, just sitting, right? They went out of their way to make a true difference in my life. You know, they, they knew if I needed space, and they, you know, they would be there. They would, they would move away. They'll, they'll do exactly what they should have done in fellowshipping me as one of their brothers, right? And, and even today, if any valley come up that's significant, they will be there. I know for a fact they would, right? You know, these guys also have been with me on the mountaintops, right? And they fellowship with me when I, when I got married to my beautiful Italian wife somewhere around here, right? Uh, they were there. They were there and they enjoy, you know, they, they only, you know, we all had fun. But beyond that, you know, like, we enjoyed each other's company. It wasn't about, oh, man, look what he's doing, and I'm not doing that. It wasn't any of that. Everyone was happy, and everyone was spending the time together and supporting each other through those good times. And my point here is that fellowship is not only when things are good. Fellowship is also when we're in those valleys. 
Because guess what? Going back to Ecclesiastes, life ain't going to be great all the time. So, but you know what? We can always enjoy it. God has put challenges and valleys in our lives. We can walk through the valley like things are so horrible and we can barely move and we don't know what to do and be depressed. Or we can walk through the valley knowing that God got us on the other end. And we do that with people. God's people is so much better walking through that valley. When we do it without God's people, we may not even end up coming out of that valley. That's why fellowship is so important in these valleys and these mountaintops. I want to take, take you to another slide. This other slide here is uh, a picture of uh, uh, what we call the well. It's, a, um, it's coming up in a minute, I think. There we go. Uh, this picture right here is a picture of a, a logo for the well. The well is a, a group of people who get together once every week, every other week, every other Friday, and we worship Christ. But beyond the worshiping of Christ, what do we do? We call it come and get fed at the well because there's always a lot of food there. And the food is good because most of the time it's at Kill's house, Kill and Jessica and Acasian, so they know how to cook, right? And so that's awesome. But beyond that, like, you know, it's a, it's a time of fellowship. We call it come and get fed at the well because F means fellowship. The E means evangelism and the D is disciples, uh, discipling. And the, the cool thing about it, we had it actually this last Friday. Great time this Friday. We, we uh, fellowship, we ate well. Uh, I played a cow own. I'm not good at it, but I, I still try, right? And we always have different people who come. And that level of fellowship, I was thinking about it. I was talking to I, I, some of the people in the well. Don't, don't take any offense to this, please. I know some of you guys are here. But I was talking to my, speaking with my beautiful wife last night. And we were talking about, like, there are some individuals on the well in the, that's part of the well that comes to it that if the well didn't exist and that fellowship didn't happen like it did, I'm not sure if I naturally would be someone who would hang out with that person. And this is what fellowship does. It starts to help you understand that you can integrate all these different diversities and different people together, and you start to appreciate them in a whole other way. You start to see them in a whole other way, right? And I tell you, we have open and honest conversations. I'll tell you this last Friday, we had a conversation on bidets. Now, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if y'all know about the bidet, okay? But I'm telling you, it's a life changer. God made the bidet for a reason, all right? Uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law got me one. And I let it sit there for a couple of three weeks. And when I started using that bidet, I was like, man, this is a life changer, all right? So we had a great conversation about the bidet. And I think some people probably bought a bidet after that Friday, all right? But I tell you, if you ain't used it, I tell you, like, if you don't like it, let me know. I'll buy it from you, okay? The bidets work. They're amazing, all right? But beyond that, we have fun. We get to know each other. We get to laugh, you know, and, and we get to cry with each other when needed as well. That's what fellowship is all about. I want to take you to another slide. This other one is uh, a group uh, called the C12 group. And this group is a, uh, a group that I, uh, my, my boss, Jason, he was part of, and he introduced me to this group, the C12 group. And it's a group of 12 guys or less who gets together on a monthly basis. And the goal is, as leaders, that would talk about things in their life and their business. And you see on the right side there, there's a balance wheel. Every, you know, every month we fill that out. You know, for the family and marriage, I always ask my wife, I, where, where do we come in at? Do we get a 10, a 9, or 
eight, the highest is 10, right? But anyhow, uh, we go through that process and it allows us to really fellowship in a different way. You have accountability is built in, you have support, and you have people that's there. And I've really have uh, created some good relationships and friendships from that to the point where I meet with guys outside of that monthly meeting, right? Again, fellowship, it happens everywhere. That's my, my point I'm trying to make. It's a Christian group, and so it's Christian fellowship that happens in a workplace. Fellowship happens everywhere. And I can tell you, like, I, I, it's, a, it's a value to me. It's a value to me personally because I feel like it challenges me as well as I'm able to support and provide and, and uh, bless others as, uh, as I participate in it as well. The last one I want to, uh, last picture uh, or group of pictures I want to show you, it's just a group of pictures of just fellowship and how it expands your family. I realize the more and more I fellowship, the bigger my fellowship circle will become. The bigger the membership of the people who are in that circle becomes. Because guess what? Someone else hears about it, they draw into it. Someone else has a friend here, they draw into it. Next thing you know, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And there's something about fellowship in that way. And it can be in any place at any time. But fellowship is so important. Breaking bread together, living life together, spending time with each other, supporting through struggles, being happy for each other when things are just going well and God is put a big blessing in their lives and praising God together. That's what fellowship is about. And again, Christian fellowship is what we're talking about. We're talking about Christian fellowship with our brothers and our sisters as part of the body of Christ. So how do we, how do, we do this better? How do we fellowship better? What do we need to do? How do we take, we, we, we heard some good stuff from the word, we, we, we saw some good pictures and things, but what do we need to do to take it away, you know, take this away with us today? I would say it starts with you. It starts with you. There's some big barriers to Christian fellowship that you have to be aware of. Uh, you can see uh, the barriers up there, uh, and uh, there's, you know, 10 of them that I've identified here. I'll just go through a couple of them that's, that, you know, that I believe really will get in your way of being able to fellowship well. First one is pride. With pride, excessive overpride and arrogance, it will always get in the way from you being able to truly authentically fellowship with someone. Jealousy, having a resentment. Someone got something and you like, you're jealous about it. You're always envious about it. How can you ever fellowship in that manner? Because you'll never be able to celebrate the good times with someone. Bitterness, you know, feeling like, you know, uh, that, uh, you have to hold on this anger or resentment because you didn't like what someone said. So since you didn't like what they said, now you're going to always have a problem with them, right? I'm, I'm going to stop going to that church, or I'm, gonna, I'm not going to come to this anymore, right? Because you didn't like something that someone said? Come on now, right? That happens all the time in this world, and it's crazy, right? We have to be able to learn how to forgive. God, God is, Christ has forgiven us for everything that we know we do wrong, but yet we don't know how to forgive people for something that's as simple as something they said, right? Victimization. Always feeling like that everybody's against you. You're a target, right? You, you can never fellowship in a positive way if you have that mentality. Isolation, right? You, you withdraw from people. I'm shy. I don't like to be around people. Well, you know what? God didn't create us that way. So you got to ask yourself, why are you thinking that way? Right? I can understand. There's some people, you know, that's more outgoing. I'm not that kind of person by no means. But there's some people out there, you know, they're willing to go and step out and socialize all day. 
And there's some people who don't really want to do that all the time. But that should not get in the way of you being able to go and fellowship with your brothers. Ask yourself, how do you see your Christian family? Do you see them like a family? Or do you see them like a stranger or somebody I just go to church with? If I have that mentality, I'll never really create a true fellowship. Fakeness. Trying to live for the world. Trying to be a part of this society that tells us this is what we must do and this is what we must make and this is how we must live. Secular, right? That kind of goes with it, right? Always prioritizing the worldly values, the things of this world. Oppression. Feeling weighed down and oppressed by the life's challenges God has put in your life, right? Challenges aren't bad. God put them in our lives for a reason, whether it's to teach us, to grow us, or maybe it's just how it is. But we know this, that our God will always be victorious, right? So why do we worry about it? Why do we let it overtake us? Complacency. You satisfy how life is. I like to just go home. I bet you somebody right now here sitting here thinking like, man, when this is going to end, I want to go home, watch my football game, sit on the couch, not talk to anybody, and I'm good to go, right? Right? How many people think of that right now? Right? Ask yourself, why is that? We got to change that complacency because guess what? We never grow from that. And the last one, which I believe is probably the biggest one, is deception. You see, guys, believing and following the false and destructive influences of Satan is not going to get us anywhere. Satan don't want us to fellowship. You know that, right? Why would Satan want us to fellowship? Because guess what fellowship does? It, it grows God's kingdom. That can't be good. So when you're doing things out there and you're wondering why I can't fellowship, why am I too busy to fellowship? Oh, why, you know, I don't feel good. I don't want to fellowship. There's a reason for that. Satan is trying to draw you from that. He doesn't want you to fellowship. Right? We have to break that. We have to break those lies. And we have to be able to defeat that so that we can go and fellowship and love on our people, each other. So I want you to think about it. Which ones do you have problems with today? I have an assessment, and I'm going to pull this assessment up, and I'm going to ask uh, if I can get a couple of people to help me pass these out. Yeah, and we got some pens. You can fill this out right now. You can fill it after church. But it's an assessment, an assessment that uh, uh, some of the guys are passing out to you right now. This assessment is going to assess those 10 areas. All right, this assessment will assess those 10 areas, and you will fill it out and ask yourself, are you struggling with that area? Are you, are you progressing in there? It's been a struggle, but you're working on it, you're progressing on it, or are you empowered in that area? Right, and it'll show you what obviously bad is, which we just went through, and what good looks like alternatively. And I just ask you to fill this out for yourself. It's not for me. It's not for Pastor Randy. It's just for you. I want you to just uh, self-reflect and ask yourself, what's the barriers in your way today when it comes to being able to fellowship? I know a lot of times this is not normal for people to spend some time what we call hansei. is a Japanese term, just uh, reflecting. I know that's not always normal. But I would tell you that you will be able to progress so much faster if you can understand what those constraints are. And we all have constraints. We all have constraints to fellowship today. What are your constraints? This assessment will help you identify what those constraints are for you. So we talk about I apply by and what you can do to make a difference. And I know a lot of people are reading it. 
And I know they're still passing out some, so I'll, I'll wait a second. For those online, we do have a, uh, Randy, can you just put up the uh, online look of it? So at least you understand what it looks like. You can take a snapshot if you're online, take a screen print, so you can print it out for yourself, and you can still do that assessment if you're online as well. All right, so as we, as we continue here, guys, and again, I want you, I encourage you to fill that out uh, either now or later, uh, but as we continue, uh, what, what can you do to make a difference? One is fill out this assessment. Number two, after you've filled out the assessment, identify one to two areas to remove them, some barriers, right? The goal here is, guys, is like, I want to know where my constraints are. Now, what can I do to remove an area that's a constraint for me today? So, for instance, if I'm the type of person who... Uh, is always complacent. I like to do the same things I do over and over again. What can you do to step out of that comfort zone? One suggestion I have for you, if you're struggling with identifying what that is for you, find someone to help you. There's power in an accountability partner. There's power in getting ideas from other people who can help you because they're seeing it from a different lens. And so I would encourage you, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, you can come to me, right? Find someone who can help you see a different path, right? We all got constraints, so don't feel like you can't go and talk to someone else because every the person you're talking to have a constraint themselves, right? So don't feel like that there's a perfect person out here. We all got our constraints. But lean in. This is an opportunity just to even start fellowshipping right then and right now just by leaning in and saying, hey, I struggle with this. How would you help me out with this? How can I, how can I get better here? And you'll be surprised how much progress you can make. The third one is, and this is going to be, this is going to happen today, this third one, and it'll be after service. When we finish here, which, which will be happening soon, I would ask you to connect with your church family today. And what I mean by that is each of you right now are sitting next to someone you don't know well. Guess what? We're going to change that. I would like for you to get, exchange each other phone numbers and within the next two weeks, identify time outside of this building. Again, the church is not this building. This is a building. The church is us. So identify some time outside of this building to fellowship. Whether it's going to get a cup of coffee, whether it's having a phone call, it doesn't matter. Fellowship. All right? So I ask that everyone does that before you leave today. Again, I've made my, my sermon short purposely today. Usually it's much longer than this. Uh, I've made it short purposely so that you guys can spend time getting each other's information and identifying what can you do over the next two weeks to fellowship. Now, remember, it's not a one-time thing, but I just want to be a catalyst here, right? Don't make it a one-time thing, but I'm just being a catalyst for you to start the fellowship. All right? So those are the three things, right? Complete the, complete the assessment, identify one or two areas to remove the barriers, and connect with your church family today. So as I get ready to end, guys, I hope, first of all, this is encouraging for you. But I want to I uh, show you through a story, a true story, the power of fellowship. The power of fellowship. 
In the early 1960s, the civil rights movement was in full swing. And racial segregation was everywhere, right? Especially in the American South, there's racial segregation everywhere, everywhere schools were segregated and so forth. Uh, there was a little girl, six-year-old girl, this is a picture of her right here. Her name is Ruby Bridges. Ruby Bridges was an African-American girl who was one of the first African-American students to attend an all-white school in New Orleans. Right, this little girl right here, six years old, her daily journey was something that I don't think any of us could fathom. She would go to school every day, coming, going to school and leaving school with mobs of people shouting racial slurs to her. These are parents. These are people just all on this little kid and doing all these crazy things where you could imagine what she had to go through. Even one, there was an event that was so bad that someone actually brought a miniature coffin with a black baby doll in it. And they were threatening her life. Guys, this wasn't like hundreds of years ago. This was in the 60s, right? I'm saying this is not a long time ago here. This was the life that, that people had to deal with. And she had to deal with this day after day after day. They had to have U.S. Marshals protect her. You can see them right here. They had to eventually have them there to protect her because of all the threats that she was getting each and every day going to school. This little kid was a very smart girl. She was one of, I believe it was five or six students, African-American students that tested into being able to go to one of these schools. And she just wanted to get her education. Yet she had to deal with horrible, horrible acts of hatred each and every day while she was going to school. But what was interesting was there was a couple of people that really made a difference. One is none of the teachers even want her in her class, but one. That one teacher's name was Barbara Henry. She was a white teacher from Boston, and Barbara took Ruby in. She took her in, and she began to nurture her, spend time with her. She wanted to help her do well in her classes. She dealt with, Barbara would be there helping encourage her and help her through the situation she was going through outside of school. Barbara was fellowshipping with Ruby every single day. The only teacher, think about this, out of all the teachers there, I don't know how many there were, but I'm sure there were a lot, one teacher was willing to actually fellowship with this little girl. Right? What, what made it even more, I would say, a turning point for Ruby and what was going on in her story was despite all the horrible things and hatred and acts of violence that was going on, people were throwing stuff at her and things like that, there were a few white neighbors that stood up with Ruby. They decided to stand in the gap with Ruby. Not only did they stand in the gap, but they even took it even farther. They decided to take, have their kids start going to that school. So they took their kids and had their kids start going to the school. And they were uh, making sure that Ruby, Ruby and her family were supported through this whole ordeal. During that time, as the kids start going to school and start engaging with Ruby, all of a sudden what you saw was this groundswell of fellowship. More and more students started to hang out together. And they started to realize Ruby is just like us. Right? She's no different. They started to have empathize with her. To the point of all the, the mob of people who are throwing hatred spurs and things, they started realizing it was a waste of time. They had, it was frugal effort because no one was listening to them anymore. And it changed this history. It changed this world, guys. And I realized something. Fellowship is what did it. And it was small doses of fellowship. That's even more amazing part about this. 
You have majority of the people who are throwing hate and doing this and that. A few people who was there willing to deal with the pains, the ups and downs, willing to be there, willing to show that, you know what? Like, yeah, this person may not be perfect, but I'm going to be there with them anyhow, made the biggest difference. And like I said, when people see that, it's like a magnet. They want to be a part of it. So what happened? Kids start seeing other white kids play with Ruby. They want to start playing with Ruby. Like, man, it must be something about Ruby. Let's go and hang out with her, right? Next thing you know, everybody wanted to hang out with each other. And then the parents now got this other conflict because their kids want to hang out with the black girl, right? But guess what? It changed the world. It changed the world. And when I'm here to encourage each and every one of you today that each of us have the power to change the world with fellowship. God has given us this, this precious thing that we waste today. And I encourage every person here today to start to take that precious thing and utilize it to actually make a difference in the kingdom of God. Each and every one of us can grow the kingdom of God simply by fellowshipping. You know, I'm not asking you to go and be a pastor. I'm not asking you to go and stand on the street corner and do that. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just saying simply fellowship. And simple fellowship will bring more to the kingdom. More people will come. So that next moment you have to fellowship, I encourage each and every one of you to be committed to fellowshipping. If you're going to be committed to fellowshipping, that next moment you have it, I ask you to raise your hand. That next moment is now. The next moment is now. So I'm going to end the service now, and I ask you to fellowship with the people you don't know. It's easy to gravitate to the people we know. Go and talk to someone you don't know. Let's set up some time. Let's fellowship, and let's be a true family. Thank you, guys.